the failure to act with sufficient ambition to avert the climate catastrophe will be the greatest moral failure of our time. Making changes takes courage, and if we don't change things, we won't have a future. I'm an environmentalist. A lot of people don't understand that. I think I know more about the environment than most people. You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. Change is coming, whether you like it or not. Zero Carbon East off. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbonista. I'm Ian Collins, but that is largely an irrelevance. This series of podcasts is essentially about the views, thoughts, campaigns and ideas of one man and various guests along the way. Dale Vince is an entrepreneur who's built his success in the green energy sector. He's the owner of Ecotricity. That's the world's first green energy company, an area he identified years before this kind of stuff was on the political agenda, let alone dominating world events as it seems to be now. He actually built his first windmill in 1996. In addition to all of that, he's the man behind Forest Green Rovers, the world's first vegan football club, where he sits as the chairman. On each episode, we'll be bringing you the salient issues from the biggest agenda on the planet right now, the environment and climate change. I mentioned we should clear this up first of all, Dale. Uh, Forest Green Rovers top of the league i mean you, you can't you can't be complaining much at the moment well, I, I don't complain much anyway that's not in my nature but <laughs> but i get what I, I get what you mean for, the, for those who don't know what what is a, how do you define a vegan football club all it really boils down to is that uh, all of the food that we provide to anybody our players our staff our fans uh, is vegan it's as simple as that so the food that we have responsibility for yep. is is plant-based animal free and one assumes that what follows from that is, you know, infrastructure and building of stadium and the like is all with that in mind, with the environmental agenda in mind as well. Yeah, that's right. We've got an organic pitch and solar panels, electric car charging points, wildlife areas around the ground, that kind of stuff. Uh, we've done as much as we can in the location that we inherited. So it's kind of like a retrofit scenario. But we've got a new build project planned, a place we call Eco Park. Okay. Uh, it's a 50 hectare site on Junction 13 of the M5, and we've had a new stadium designed for us by Zaha Hadid's practice. Uh, it'll be the first in the world to be made entirely out of wood, and it's beautiful wow. as well. So we'll get the chance to really push the boundaries of sustainable development in this new location and uh, push ourselves up the league. So our ultimate aim is to get to the championship. On the last episode, we talked a lot about Extinction Rebellion. Those protests are, are, are largely on hold at the moment. I, well, I don't want to say over, because that makes it sound like they're never going to happen again. But of course, you know, there was that two-week period. There was the point of various cities around the world all simultaneously showing political masters around the globe what they thought, lack of action, etc. Extinction Rebellion aren't going away, Dale. Of course, you'd expect there to be more of the same sometime soon yeah definitely and actually stuff that we haven't seen yet will come sometime soon i mean extinction rebellion like to like to move it up and innovate so uh, are, you, yeah. are you part of them or are you as a sympathizer of a contributor of ideas where are you in terms of the xr picture xr is a movement as i understand it without a clear hierarchy or, or leadership and i would count myself as part of that movement 
Okay. Let's talk about your own manifesto, as it were. Am I right in using the word manifesto here? I mean, are you, you, you what, what are you looking to do with this? Where, where are you looking to go with your own sort of thoughts and pillars of, of direction? I think it's a reasonable way to describe it. Uh, I was saying to you on previous episode that, you know, raising the issue of the climate crisis as XR and Greta and the school strikes have done is fantastic, but we do need a coherent plan behind that and a government that picks that up and runs with it. And we've spent a lot of time in this space uh, since the early 90s. We focused on energy at that time as a single biggest cause of climate change. And then in the early 2000s, we looked around for the second biggest and third biggest, respectively found that they were transport and food. And that between the three of them, energy, transport and food, 80% of everybody's personal carbon footprint can be found. And that became the kind of uh, the core of our approach to life, our manifesto, if you like. So what we've done at Forest Green, for example, is to focus on energy, transport and food. We use that as a, as a blueprint or a universal slide rule. You can hold it up to any individual's life. You can hold it up to any organization of any size, any sports club. And you'll find that uh, you cover most of the problems in those three areas. If you look at how you power yourself, how you travel, and what you eat. So our manifesto really kind of springs from that. What policies do we need? What do we need to change um, in those three areas of life? And it's actually really brutally simple. We need to move from being powered by fossil fuels to being powered by renewable energy. We need to stop being transported by internal combustion engines. We need to electrify transport and we need to take animals out of our diet completely. We do those three things and we'll have gone nearly all the way to tackling this problem will be 80% of the way there. I mean, let, let's have a look at some of those in a bit more detail then. Tra- travel being the obvious one. We know we're constantly seeing um, stories of, uh, for some reason, the royal family sprung to mind because, you know, we know that they, um, on some occasions, some members of the royal family have, you know, talked out about climate change, about how it needs to be further up the agenda and, you know, trying to be carbon neutral and the like. And and then you, you have a little look and you think, well, they've been traveling on quite a lot of planes recently. Recently, which seems to slightly go against the grain of things. Is that a is that straightforward hypocrisy, or is there sometimes an inevitability about that that you you've kind of well, and if you're spreading the message, that's an offset in itself. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I bumped into this problem myself before, as you might imagine. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very much against flying, but very much for spreading this message. And in September, I was invited to go to Switzerland twice, once to speak. Uh, to the UN and and another time to speak to uh, UEFA on this subject, uh, how we engage sport in the fight against climate change. I I work with the UN on that program. And I really didn't want to fly. The train trip was going to take three days and the two events were a week apart. I couldn't combine them. So it was going to be six days out of my month traveling for a couple of, uh, you know, one hour slots, which wasn't very appealing either. And we arrived at uh, a really great solution using technology. Uh, we took part by video. I shot little videos uh, in each case by way of a kind of introduction to take part in the sessions and then uh, then took part live by video and explained actually that uh, a big part of my message could be uh, could be seen in the fact that I wasn't in the room because it made no sense to fly to Switzerland mm. to speak for one hour on the issues of climate change and how we need to change how we live. Um, yes. And that went down, I have to say, incredibly well. I mean, it was really embraced. Uh, UEFA, to begin with, were 
very disappointed that I wasn't going to come and didn't understand it. And, and within a week of talking about it, they saw it completely. Uh, were really on board and said, actually, they, they got it and, uh, and it meant a lot to them. And so I think it's important that we all make changes in our own lives. There's no good us exempting ourselves from this, particularly people that are spokespeople or speak out on these issues. We can't say, you know, we've got to make all of these changes, but I'm just going to fly across the world now to have a little chat. You know, that makes no sense. In the same way that, you know, you get some people saying, yeah, I get the the need to fight the climate crisis, but I think it's okay to eat grass-fed beef. You know what I mean? I think that'll be okay. They have a decent life and it's not like farm uh, intensively reared stuff you know people that don't really embrace the change themselves and and you know make the sacrifice what was interesting then dale about being asked to give speeches normally when you know they invite a guest somewhere they always say we're very you know we're delighted that they can be with us today but they were delighted that you weren't with them on <laughs> those right. days because in <laughs> fact in order to hammer the point home you not being there in fact was the, the greatest prong of your argument exactly right and you know uefa didn't tell their audience i wasn't going to be there they, they introduced me they said first we'll see this little video and they showed the video and and then they said, uh, oh, well, that's it. And look, here he is. I was on the screen live. Sure. Um, and we did a Q&A. And it, it was, uh, as you say, the message was contained in the fact that I wasn't there. Well, what, just what about the overarching thing of flying? You know, when, when you think of the human journey and innovation and man's contribution to engineering and everything we've done, you know, a lot of people will be scratching their head thinking, hang on a second, you know, have we really arrived at this point of the 21st century where I can't get on an aeroplane, I can't go to Ibiza for the weekend, I can't go and see my <laughs> old, you know, Auntie Flo in Sydney or something, you know, that surely is something's gone wrong with the human journey when we are reversing this stuff. Yeah, I, I think actually we don't have to give up flying completely. I don't, I don't see that necessarily as a need, but there's an awful lot we can do in terms of reducing flying, you know, flying for, for real purpose rather than just, you know, popping to Europe for a weekend and that kind of stuff. There was some data came out recently and I think it said that um, 10% of people in Britain are taking 50% of the flights so the idea that, yeah. that really cheap flights are supporting the less well-off among us to have holidays in Europe that they otherwise couldn't afford is actually a false narrative from the airline industry because, of course, they enjoy massive tax breaks. There's no duty on the fuel. You get duty-free in the shops. I mean, you know, you don't get that at bus stops and train stations, for example. And so there are these massive tax breaks to encourage flying on the premise that it's, uh, uh, you know, does a social good, which is actually quite false. In terms of the efficiency of a, or, or the damage, the environmental damage of an aeroplane, I mean, we could talk about electric cars, and that's an industry that's clearly flourishing and will only get bigger, mm. and one has to say that's a, a good thing. Mm. Where's the, the science on flight? Is, is, I mean, I, I'm not aware of an electric aeroplane, or certainly not a big 747 or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure somebody is working on it. Where are we on that journey? I think we're in the same place we were 10 years ago on cars, we built a car around about 10 years ago called the Nemesis, and we did it because I wanted a greener form of transport, and you couldn't actually buy an electric car in the world back then, and they were just a kind of crazy idea, and, and if you talk to people about electric cars, they would say, oh, yeah, it'll be like a milk float, you know, it'll be uh, underperforming, underwhelming, you know, kind of uh, boring car. So we built a supercar, the Nemesis. Uh, it still holds the land speed record in Britain uh, for electric cars. I think it's about 156 or something like that. And 
since then all of the major manufacturers have piled in making cars and and it's just become a thing you know um electric cars today are better than internal combustion engines uh, to drive the experience is fantastic and you know there's probably 40 models on the market more coming every day and manufacturers are talking about the day when they stop making the internal combustion engine that you know that's coming yeah but there's still a carbon footprint associated with making electric cars of course yeah, of course. There's a carbon footprint associated with making anything, uh, but it's it's very different to the internal combustion engine. So we're in the same place, I would say, roughly with uh, aviation. So there are electric planes uh, in the air. They're small two-seater, one-seater planes. Uh, but the big manufacturers, Boeing and Airbus, are talking about, in the next 10 years, having short-haul passenger flights on electric aeroplanes. That's where they see it being. Uh, so not yet the 747s, but short-haul passenger planes. But there's, there's other, other ways we can tackle this issue as well. We need to fly less, you know, and fly for meaningful reasons. I think we can make great reductions in our flying footprint if we just do that. Sure. And then there's a possibility to make aviation fuel from a carbon neutral uh, source as well to, to uh, mitigate that impact further. And gradually we'll see the replacement of jet turbines with uh, electric turbines. I guess when it comes to all of these things, somebody said to me recently when you know, talking about what, what are you, what, what's an individual supposed to do when it comes to climate change, when it comes to caring about environmental issues, where we're likely to be inside this, this next decade, where we're, where we're told there's a, a, a sort of irredeemable tipping point uh, around the corner. And the reply was interesting. We, we can't all do everything, but if we all did something, yeah. then you begin to change things. Yeah, make a massive difference. You know, I think the biggest things that we can all do individually are uh, firstly switch to green energy to power our homes. I mean, that's that's either number one or number two in terms of cause of climate change in Britain right now because it and transport are swapping positions as more renewable energy comes onto the grid. And the, uh, the, the second biggest thing anybody can do is just give up meat and dairy. It's a massive thing, has a massive impact, but it's easy to do. Um, and you know it's not a complicated thing that too often the the things that we need to do uh, are very multifaceted overlapping complex and a little bit daunting i would say uh, which is why we try to break it down into just energy transport and food we say it's how you power your home it is how you travel and it is what you eat change those things and 80 percent of the problems that you're causing will be uh, will be resolved yeah i mean this this highlights the point. When you see those climate disasters, when you see people flooded out of their homes, when you see places turning into desert, when you see crops no longer being able to grow because it's too hot, when you see hurricanes intensifying and smashing everything up, 15% of that is because of what we're eating. Well, that alone is enough reason to change. So just explain, Dale, if you would, having heard that and th this whole conversation about things we can do you would obviously like to see a, a vegan world but quite a lot of people out there like burgers <laughs> yeah yeah i get that but you know the amounts of meat eaten in uh, let's say western countries right now uh, let's focus on britain it's just never been bigger in the last 50 years you know it's grown exponentially since the end of the second world war it's not a natural part of our diet which some people say that it is or want to think that it is it's been driven by the abundance of cheap fossil fuels by the creation of intensive animal farming which is an absolute abuse of, uh, of sentient creatures it's done on an, a mind-boggling scale today 
three million creatures in Britain will be slaughtered for food. It's a billion every year just in Britain. It's 70 billion across the whole planet, which I think is like 2,000 every second or something like that. It's being done at a massive scale. It's quite unnatural and it's causing enormous climate impacts as, as well as incredible cruelty. If you see images inside factory farms and slaughterhouses and stuff like that, these, these are brutal short lives that these animals live and they have feelings they have emotions and all that kind of stuff but on top of that it's killing us because it's bad for our health you know it's one of the biggest causes of of heart disease cancer and type 2 diabetes is this modern diet that's full of animal products um and so it's a great irony that uh you know people feel that they need to have this stuff when it's killing them it's killing the planet and obviously killing animals and we'd be so much better off without it. One of the great beauties for me of this uh, this transition we need to make on the energy, transport and food front is if we all go plant-based, we free up 75% of the land that we currently farm in Britain. It becomes free. We don't need it. We can give it back to nature. And there's been this massive decline in nature in Britain. We focus on the rainforest and we, we bemoan you know, the lack of stewardship of that. But we... We've destroyed our own rainforest here in Britain, but we can bring it back. If we go plant-based, we can absolutely bring it back. And we can use this land, this massive amount of land, as a carbon sink for that irreducible part of our carbon footprint as a country that we really can't get at, which the Climate Change Committee estimate to be 2 or 3%. All of the things we need to do join up uh, like some magic jigsaw puzzle. And at the end of it, we haven't just uh, fought climate change. We've brought wildlife back to Britain. We've cleaned up the air and the water and the land. And, you know, we're living in some kind of ecotopia. Just before we finish, I think it's, uh, if it's all right with you, Dale, can we, can we have a, a Trump moment? Is that yeah, a, yeah, we can have a Trump right. moment, yeah. Let's have a listen to the genius himself. <laughs> the stable genius. From day one, my administration has made it a top priority to ensure that America is among the very cleanest air and cleanest water on the planet. We want the cleanest air. We want crystal clean water. For years, politicians told Americans that a strong economy and a vibrant energy sector were incompatible with a healthy environment. In other words, one thing doesn't go with the other, and that's wrong, because we're proving the exact opposite. Uh, you said it last on the last episode, uh, the, the, the gift that keeps on giving. Just explain where, I mean, that's the president, of course, the, one of the most <laughs> yeah. powerful men in the world. Let's just remind ourselves of that. Every now and again, you sort of have to. Yeah. Uh, well, where are America on these issues of climate change and the environmental agenda? It depends on uh, what you judge to be America. Obviously, if, if you're talking about the White House, then, uh, you know, they're completely on the wrong side of the debate, talking about pulling out of Paris, cranking up the fossil fuel industries uh, and all that kind of stuff. But if you if you look at the state level, look at what California are doing, for example, and some of the other major states and cities, you know, they're going in the opposite direction. They're saying whatever Trump uh, says or does doesn't matter to them. They get the need to act and they're getting on with it. Now, I guess there's a use there, isn't there? Because you could use that as a, it's quite a good yardstick. So if, if he says something is OK, <laughs> yeah. then you could just kind of work on the basis that therefore it probably isn't. Yes. Maybe yeah. there, there is a use for him. After yeah. All. And, and maybe, you know, he's a great stimulator as well, you know, because uh, he's like an irritant. Uh, he, he comes along and he says, nah, you know, fracking's good and oil and gas is good. Let's drill in the Arctic. Sure. And, and he stimulates people that otherwise might, you know, might have been quite relaxed in the Obama era or something like that to get off their butts and say, you know, this isn't good enough. We, we've got to stop this man. 
Dale, we'll speak on the next episode. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, you can subscribe for free from your podcast provider so that you get each new episode automatically. Uh, Do leave a review there as well. Here's the important bit. Do make sure you follow Dale Vince on social media. That'll be on Twitter at Dale Vince or Facebook.com slash Dale Vince. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.